welcome to another installment of Visionaries, a podcast that demonstrates you don't need a great deal of eyesight in order to be a visionary. I am your humble correspondent and host. My name is John Steinberg, sitting alongside my extremely talented co-host, and he goes by the name of... Santino Maoni. How you guys doing? Yes, I am back again with John. We are back with another great episode of Visionaries. Can't wait to get into it. And actually, John did pick this quote. I'm going to introduce it for our first segment, as always, Words to Live By. So, John, you chose a quote from, I believe you pronounce it's... a. Aldous Huxley is how you pronounce the name. Yes. Um, So here's the quote. To see ourselves as others see us is a most salutary gift. Hardly less important is the capacity to see others as they see themselves. So, John, hearing that quote, you know, obviously you picked it. Can you kind of give our audience a little bit of insight as to why you chose the quote, why you wanted to analyze it for today's segment? So Aldous Huxley is another one of these kind of personal heroes of mine, the author most notably of Brave New World and also Point Counterpoint, he actually dealt with vision loss for the majority of his adult life. And when I think about a quote like this, it goes straight to this idea of what can I see versus how others see me. Uh, so that you've heard the you've heard the idiom, never judge a book by its cover. Well, that when you extrapolate it, comes down to there's more than meets the eye to any given subject. Well, what if you were not able to analyze things in that regard, and you had to utilize other senses to be able to do that? If you whittle the quote down maybe to a more decipherable form, because he was an, an English chap who spoke in fairly hoity, broad terms. If you kind of whittle it down, what he's essentially saying is, it's a really cool thing to be able to see yourself how others see you. But again, this is somebody who really couldn't see throughout his adult life. And he spent the bulk of his later years invested in spirituality, in philosophy, in really opening himself up to interpretation and seeing the world through a number of different vantage points. He was the author of The Doors of Perception and his whole kind of credo mantra is perception and how do we see this? How do we see that? How do we see this? And if you strip away your actual ability to physically see well, what are you left with? And how are you to analyze a situation? And so it's just in getting us to think about vision and what we think about when we think about vision uh, that led me to select this, this quote for today. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, when I think of like the first sentence in the, in the quote, to see ourselves as others see us is a most salutary gift. So it's, he's almost just saying, essentially, you know, it, I'm putting it in kind of my own words, but to look, at, to, to, to look at yourself and to view yourself how people from the outside kind of view you, it's, you know, it, it's almost 
trying to think of the word because I, I don't want to just re-say gift. But yeah, it is, it's 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 a great thing that we have the ability to do that. But like you said, because his vision was kind of limited and he and he did, you know, I don't believe he was fully blind, but he was but he was visually impaired from the majority of his life, correct? Right. Okay. right. And he was dependent on his wife to yeah. read to him a lot. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he utilized like he used to read with a big old um why am I blanking on the term? I think it's uh, like like almost like a microscope. Like, yeah, 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 like, yeah, like yeah. a big yeah, old go, yeah, uh, yeah. microscope. Mm-hmm. And so he was not somebody who was able to size someone by their appearance or size a situation yeah. by um, by its appearance. So mm-hmm. he had to go deeper, analyzing things on an entirely different level. Yeah, getting definitely. getting past the the surface level reading of a subject. What's this person wearing? How is this person's hair combed, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. And when you do that, when you're forced to get beyond the superficial, what do I see upon first glance? Then it leads you down a pathway of deeper analysis and just kind of a deeper respect for people and who they are, what they stand for, their character, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I have been, as a side note, I have been going to a lot of different religious uh, sites throughout Los Angeles recently, and I actually got to go to a temple where Aldous Huxley used to worship. He lived, though he's from England, he did reside in Los Angeles penning scripts in the 1940s and 1950s, and while he was in Southern California, uh, he did take an active interest in his spiritual life. And so I went to this temple where he used to worship and it got me thinking about Aldous Huxley and his contributions to the greater philosophical discussion. And that's what led me to this week's words to live by. Yeah, that's pretty, I mean, it's pretty interesting. And my, the other question I wanted to ask you though, again, talking about this quote and how he, uh, Aldous Huxley, uh, excuse me, Aldous Huxley himself dealt with visual impairments. You know, obviously he wasn't, fully completely blind but he did have trouble seeing so i wanted to ask you though does this quote make you kind of think about anything you know in your life or does this kind of like relate to to moments in your life in general like can you just kind of maybe elaborate on that if if you can get beyond the surface everything from when i took the train uh from the san fernando valley into downtown today there's a gentleman sitting next to me who is playing some kind of a song i wasn't familiar with the song I had no idea what the guy looked like or his appearance or any of that. It's pure, okay, this is a gentleman who is playing a song on public transit at fill in the blank time in the morning. And while maybe somebody else would have been able to size him up and, okay, what's he wearing? What's going on with his facial hair, et cetera, et cetera. I was left to contemplate I wonder what led this gentleman to this impromptu uh, concert, if you will, on the red line coming into downtown on the train this morning. Uh, Why was he singing? What led him to select the song that he decided to sing? Where does this guy live? A lot of those maybe kind of deeper questions uh, that would arise as opposed to just, hmm, that's a curious shirt. Yeah. That is a pair of shoes that don't necessarily match the color of the shirt. Mm-hmm. Is he, is everything okay with this gentleman? <laughs> that kind of thing. So yeah. 
it's every day that you are challenged when you can't actually judge a book by its proverbial cover, when you have to go deeper and look for motivations as to why people are acting the way they act when you can't just simply quote unquote judge a book by its cover. So it is something that, yeah, I definitely deal with on, on a daily basis, multiple times. Definitely. Just getting beyond the surface. That's part yeah. of the focus. Exactly. Um, we'll move on to our next segment. I think it was a great way to close that segment out. Um, I want to move on though to Handprints Hall of Fame. And I was actually very excited when you revealed to me during the week who, we, who we'd be inducting into our Hall of Fame. So John, introduce the uh, member, the newest member of our Handprints Hall of Fame. Okay. So for Handprints Hall of Fame, again, place yourself, if you will, outside Grauman's Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard, where the iconic handprints of stars of stage and screen are ensconced into the earth. So we are bending down, we are placing our hands into that soil outside Grauman's Chinese Theater, this week inducting one Christine Ha, most widely recognized and noted for actually winning, spoiler alert, but winning the third season of the reality cooking competition show, MasterChef. I wasn't aware of this, but this was somebody who was actually already on your radar and you had watched the season prior to my suggesting it for Handprints Hall of Fame. Yeah, I had watched all the first five seasons of MasterChef. I watched season three actually twice because I wanted I, I wanted to rewatch her just kind of, or Christine just go to work. And I, I say like go to work because she was in the zone the entire season. Even if she put out like a bad, even if she put out a bad dish, which again, every person on that show, whether they win or lose has put out a bad subpar dish at one point or another. But Christine was just constantly, she, it was, she, it was, she was comfortable, even though she couldn't see. There was a scene where, not even a scene, but there was like a moment in, in one of the episodes where I believe it was like during a mystery box challenge or something. It was, something. Yes. Yeah, it was a mystery box challenge. And she had to cook a live crab. So she had to like, you know, handle the live crab, pull off like, the, I guess like the top shell. I'm not like, you know, cooking terminology, top shell, whatever that is kind of, but basically take off the parts that you don't cook and then put it in the boiling pot. But this thing was live. It's a live animal and she can't see. And she's handling this like it's like it's that. And I'm just sitting here mesmerized by the fact that this woman can't see she beat out over 30,000 other home cooks for the show because it is, it is an amateur cooking competition. It's with home cooks. So she beat out over 30,000 other people to win this competition. And just again, at every stage in that competition, she rose to the occasion. She was able to accomplish what she needed to accomplish. She put out good dishes. She did things that you know are beyond fathomable that people would never think that a blind person could even accomplish in terms of the cooking world. So, so much credit to her. And I think she's a perfect person to put into the Hamperins Hall of Fame. And I'm just glad that this is like one of the first kind of, you know, whether we do representation and respect in the media or it's this segment, a lot of times John will pick things that I've never heard of before. And I'll kind of educate myself about them for the purpose of the show and watch like movies or read books for the first time for the show. This is something that I've seen before, and I'm glad that I've had almost a prior perspective on it before the show because it just it, it was amazing to watch that season. And honestly, it probably was one of my favorites just due to the fact that I got to watch this woman cook every single episode and she was just doing her thing. And it was it was unbelievable. A truly inspiring figure. Christine yeah. uh, is Vietnamese, has one of those uniquely yeah, I guess you could say a uniquely American stories where, yeah, born in Vietnam, uh, came to the U.S. with her family. They settled in Lakewood, 
uh, before they actually moved to Texas. Um, she didn't deal with vision loss until her adult years. Uh, she actually went to UT uh, and then the University of Houston where she obtained an MFA in creative fiction and nonfiction, the same degree I have from St. Mary's. Uh, she's a bit on the younger side, born in 79, so um, more of a contemporary. And she, I can't pronounce the name of the condition. It's very, very technical. She had this condition which impacts the spine and... I have it right here if you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And mm -hmm. again, I might mispronounce it, but it's neuromyelitis optica. And it, yep, again, right. it, it primarily affects the optic nerves in the spinal cord. So yeah, obviously a very scientific term. It's very mm -hmm. difficult to pronounce, but continue with what you were saying. Uh, and she had to relearn a lot of the things that she had already learned using assistive technology, like we have discussed on the program on multiple occasions. And after winning the third season of MasterChef, impressing none other than Gordon Ramsay, Graham Elliott, Joe Bastianovich, yeah. uh, and the kind of merciless judges on that particular program. After winning, um, she went on to publish multiple cookbooks, tapping into her Vietnamese American experience and some of the recipes that she had learned uh, as a kid growing up in Texas. And she actually hosts a show on a network that I had not heard of prior to doing a bit of research on Christine that airs in Canada. I believe it's the Ami Network. It's a lot like Ability Media. Uh, she hosts a show on this network in Canada called Four Senses, where she teaches folks with disabilities how to cook. And in addition, she has served as kind of a sort of goodwill ambassador for the blind community um, and has traveled to a multitude of countries representing uh, the best and brightest that the visually impaired community has to offer from these United States. And when you listen to, she gets a lot of screen time on yeah. the third season of MasterChef. And even for the most miserly curmudgeon individuals out there, her story is objectively really inspiring. And the way in which she comes across, she articulates her story, it is all the type of stuff that make you want to get out of bed in the morning when you are having the worst of days. Definitely. For if she can do it, why can't you? Exactly. And I think the way you said that, saying her story is inspiring. It's not an opinion. That's a fact. And I, if anybody were to say, oh, well, you know, like it's cool, but it's not. I'm, no, no, no. You are wrong. It is one of the, like I'm using the word coolest, but like it's not, that's not even the best word to describe it. But it's just when I'm watching that show, it's just so cool to watch her again, do what she does and do the thing that she is best at and do the thing that she is most comfortable at. And again, we didn't even mention this. She, you know, she won $250,000 for the cash prize. She has her cookbook deal. Obviously she wrote it. I believe it was called the blind cook. Um, 
And yeah, she's just done all of this stuff and it's opened so many doors, avenues and gateways for her to really get into the culinary world. And it's, again, it's just amazing to see somebody who not only is blind, but you said she's Vietnamese. She had her whole, like, almost just like the classic, like, oh, I made it in America kind of story where she comes, she gets on TV, she goes on this MasterChef show and she wins the entire thing. And not just, not did she just win the entire thing, but she did it like handedly. She beat out some really, really great, like other really, really great cooks. And she made great dish after great dish after great dish. And again, I've said it so many times, but just seeing that woman work on this show, doing what she does, it was unbelievable. Again, we're talking about it now and I could envision myself going back and watching the entire season over again on YouTube. And that's where you can find most of the seasons, how I've, I've kind of watched them on repeat a few times, but to just talking about it, I could go back and rewatch that season just because of her and because of what she was able to accomplish and just to watch this woman cook. That is the sole reason I would go back and watch the season. I recommend anybody who's listening right now to, or will we, yeah, will be listening to go back, not even go back, but just go and watch that show in general, uh, that season in general. The seasons are on Hulu for those. They that are on Hulu that, as well. Okay. That, yeah. that streaming service. That's how I got to check it out. Oh, yeah, and definitely watch it. Last week, my wife came on the show, uh, and I was greatly impressed and um, heartened to learn that Christine and her husband have two different restaurant concepts that actually opened in this really kind of killer looking food hall that I haven't been to personally yet in Houston. Uh, her concept is the blind goat and her husband's is the sighted pig and utilizing both their cultural heritage and their obvious states of vision or blindness. It's a fun story. It involves love. It involves passion, cooking, food, all of the things that we recognize as the stuff we aspire to achieve as human beings. And that's why Christine Ha, congratulations. You are our latest entrant into the Handprints Hall of Fame. A great one at that. And we'll move on to our next segment, Profiles and Courage, where we will be interviewing, uh, actually, you know, my girlfriend, Effie, she's out here with me right now in LA. Her younger sister, Cassiani, we're going to be interviewing her and just asking her a little bit about her life, what she's had to deal with, and actually an organization called Teen Impact, which she is a member of, and we're going to get to learn all about that and, you know, what she does in that organization. Cassiani, how are you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Awesome. I'm doing great. John, I'm going to kick it off to you. You can start asking your questions. Take it away. Hey, Cassini, John Steinberg here. Um, so you are a student at Yale uh, and you have overcome epilepsy. Um, so if you could tell our audience a little bit about um, your, uh, the epilepsy and some of the ways that, um, that you deal with, uh, with the condition. So when I was younger, I was having a couple of epileptic issues a week. With it, it was really hard for me because one, I would miss a lot of school and two, they weren't much fun because I would have a lot of headaches afterward and I would just feel really sick and I have to go home and it was just awful. It was awful. Yeah, that sounds like uh, a not so great time. Um, so how do you keep yourself positive? How do you keep yourself going and, and motivated and um, with your well, the things eyes, that really um, make me happy are coloring and doing Legos. 
when I color, I feel like I'm in my my own space. And when I do Legos, I feel the same. Like they just make me happy and they make me who I am. What are some things that you like to color? I like to color Disney and Marvel and I also like to color color by number. Awesome, awesome, awesome. What are some things that maybe you think our audience should be aware of with respect to epilepsy and how they should um, treat folks that, that have epilepsy? Um, and just for those that don't know a heck of a lot about the condition, some things that you might like our, our audience to know um, so that they might be able to interact with, with folks on a more uh, responsible, caring basis. First of all, everybody with epilepsy is different. Some people, kids may not speak. Some kids may not be able to think properly. Another thing about epilepsy is you say soon, I've seen this a lot, like where I've been, like everywhere I've gone, people say, oh, she's having a fake seizure. And like, seven seizure. It's like, and oh, it looks like seven seizure. I'm like, seriously? Like, why would you say that? Like, it's just not cool. Like, it doesn't matter if you don't want to have it or not. When someone has it, it can be very offensive. Right. So just, you know, for people to really understand um, that, that this, people to have a better education on, look, this, this might happen, this might not happen, but, you know, it's your responsibility to educate uh, yourself so that you can treat everybody equally. Most definitely. And I do want to clarify just one thing. Um, yeah. So Cassini, she's actually, she is a high school student. She's, she's not a, she doesn't go to Yale, but she actually, I'm going to transition into team impact a little bit. She is a team impact member of the Yale girls volleyball team. So Cassini, I want to ask you um, just like about team impact. Um, what is your favorite part about being like a member of that Yale volleyball team? And what do you love so much about it? So my favorite part was the first day I ever went. We, um, we, so I went there and I was really surprised at how big it was. And the thing that's really cool is that we, one, I got to get all the numbers and keep in contact with them. And the thing is, I'm at the, the sad thing is I've actually graduated Team Impact, but I, but I'm still going to be with the volleyball team. That's, that, that, that's really cool. And it's a great opportunity to make you, to just, you know, put you in that situation and allow you to, to just to be, to be a part of the team, be a member and be just to be able to hang out with the girls volleyball team. And I think that's really, really great. Um, and for those who don't know kind of what team impact is, could you tell us a little bit about it? Kind of, you know, how, how you got involved in it and what, what it really is. Yeah. So team impact is an organization that pairs, um, kids with different disabilities to colleagues all around the world and near you. And you get to pick a sport and I chose volleyball. And I got paired with Yale and the day I got paired, I was so happy. And the day I got drafted, I was even happier. And plus I'm wearing my jersey, but the sad thing is it has cat hair all over it. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that that's still great though that again this organization that this organization even exists and that you get to be a part of it and that so many people around <laughs> that's awesome and that's so many so many people around the world in general they get to you know be a part of this and they, they get to have these experiences just like you did um my next question just maybe tell me about some of the activities tell our audience about some of the activities that you've um partaken in with the volleyball team like things that you guys do together what, what, what do you do with the team 
because of my autism, I um I am sensitive to noise. So I don't really stay long for the game because well I do for part time, but because so loud I have to put um earplugs yeah, yeah. and then some headphones. Cause everybody's always yelling and yelling. <laughs> like go yell like, and it's just so loud because they just can can do that. Mm-hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> the the other thing I like about it is that I get my own locker room. I get my own locker. And I also get on senior night, I got to pass them pass out flowers to the senior girls. Wow, that's that that that's a great opportunity. So you get to do fun things like that and just kind of be be a part of all those special moments with the team, which is really awesome. Um, my last question for team for team impact members maybe listening to this, or if there are any other again, like you know, young kids like you that are listening to the show and they are a part of other teams again around maybe Connecticut, New York, where, where, wherever they are. What do you want to say to them? And just what do you want to say to people that maybe in the future might become a team impact member and let them know kind of uh, how, how exciting it is? I just, there's one thing I want to say to my team if they're listening. The last three years have been, of my life since getting drafted, have been the best years of my life. And I can't thank them enough for all they've done for me. To, 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 I'm, Again, if the volleyball team is listening to this, and I do hope that you guys, I, I do hope that you listen just because it is such an, it, Team Impact is such an inspiring organization and it just, it, it provides, again, people like Cassini, kids all around the world, it provides them with such great opportunities to, again, be, be a part of a team, feel like you're being, you're, you're involved with them. It, it's a great opportunity. And I think John can attest to this as well, that I think that, what Team Impact is doing is just is, is just great in general. And it's awesome, again, that you've been able to be a part of that experience. It sounds like a spectacular organization. Yeah. Um, Cassini, what, uh, what do you kind of see going forward? What, um, what do you want to do in the future? Um, interested in studying or, yeah, what, what would you like to do in, you know, the next 10 years or so? I want to be a cartoon colorist. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would utilize all those drawing skills that you were talking about that'd be great what are some of your favorite um cartoons i like marvel and i hope to do some for disney also it's awesome actually we're to to you know tie into what you're saying about disney uh effie and i and our group are actually going to disneyland this weekend on saturday so you know i i I think i think that's great though that you talk about something that you know drawing cartoons drawing marvel characters that you know, something that kind of calms you and it, it, it brings you peace, it makes you happy. That's something you kind of want to, you want to take and you want to kind of shift that into maybe even a career, something that you want to do in the future. That's really, really awesome. And the last thing I want to say is, I know your dad and your family have a lot of Marvel comics. You said you like drawing Marvel characters. Who is your favorite MCU character if you had to pick just one from all the drawings you've done, from all the comic books, movies, everything? Who is your favorite? I like Miss Marvel. <clears throat> Not the Miss, like not the Captain Marvel, but like Miss Marvel. Yeah, from the comics. Because one, she never gives up, even though it's hard, and like she cares about everybody around her, even the tiniest animals, even the even the littlest kids. She cares about them all, and that's like me too. I care about I care about everybody. 
Yeah, that's that's awesome, and it's a great a great character to look up to, and just you know, it, I I'm a huge Marvel fan myself. I know Effie is as well. Um, you know, I, I know so many of my friends that are Marvel fans. Marvel's a great franchise, and I'm glad that you have been able to make a connection with that and put that into your drawings, and just you know, have that be an interest of yours. Um, Cassini, thank you so much for coming on the show today. We really appreciate it. We appreciate the little bit of insight you were able to give us into, you know, living with epilepsy, you know, your experiences with Team Impact, and it was great having you on the show. So thank you. Yeah, thanks so much for, for coming on and chatting with us. Thank you for having me. All right, that was a great way to close that segment out. Thank you, Cassini, so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Your insight was invaluable. We'll move on to our next segment and wait, what is it gonna be? Oh, you guessed it, respect and representation in the media as always. So we're gonna start off. John's gonna give us, um, we actually picked, or John, sorry, not we, John picked 10 songs that kind of, I guess, you know, whether they have the title about blindness or they reference blindness in their songs, we're going to just kind of discuss those and give our opinions on them. So, John, take it away. I was inspired to invoke music uh, in this segment as for my entire adult life, I've been listening to countless songs that reference blindness, being able to see or not see. And I thought it would be an interesting valuable exercise to examine some of these songs that I'm talking about. And we picked, or I picked 10. And when you actually go song by song, you're able to see the different ways in which blindness is utilized as subject matter, as vantage point, and as an overall lens uh, by which to view a particular subject. Blindness seems to be a very kind of malleable concept with respect to music. It can mean so many things. So these are 10 songs, different genres, different eras, different types of music, and different ways in which blindness is presented. So we're going to go ahead and talk about some of them. The first of them being... I'd Rather Go Blind by Etta James. I believe that was the first one you selected. I listened to it the other, I listened to all 10 of these last night and a few of them I had heard before and you'll, you know, we'll get to the other ones that I've heard before when we go down the list, but just get your opinion on, I mean, I'd Rather Go Blind by Etta James. What did you think, I guess the message was in the song? What do you think Etta James, I guess, was just trying to get across in her song? So here, blindness represents the dissolution of a relationship and dealing with grief in the aftermath of seeing that person that you broke up with off gallivanting with a new partner. So rather than have to confront the reality of that failed relationship, that former partner's newfound happiness, rather than confront all of that, Etta James is singing that she would rather be blind than have to confront all of that. So here, I don't think it's meant to be interpreted on a literal plane. It's more metaphorical and it's not necessarily eyesight that she's referring to. It's the overall tenor and scope of this new relationship that her ex has found himself in. Yeah. And I think, I mean, first and foremost, I'm probably going to say this about most of the songs, but I think it's just cool that we got, that I got to experience and just, you know, listen to songs that really, not necessarily, I want to say tackle blindness, but just 
use it as like a tool in their songs and use it to convey different messages and different stories within their music. And it's cool just to see that blindness is represented in the media in this way, because obviously music we consider, you know, obviously it's perspective representation in the media. We consider it part of the media world. So to see that it's represented in this way in the media is really, really cool. And I think it's important that people are aware that there are songs out here like this, that whether by title, whether by again, like lyrics in the song, whatever it may be that they are, that they are representing blind and utilizing it in a positive way and just, again, to tell stories, to provide messages through song, which I think is pretty cool. And a big part of why I wanted to tackle this particular subject is the idea of cultural reappropriation. Who's allowed to tell a particular story? If you aren't dealing with blindness, are you allowed to talk about it? Are you allowed to reflect upon it, et cetera, et cetera? And the great thing about music is its universality. It's really one of the major components that we are all able to interact with on an equal playing field. So it doesn't matter that Etta James isn't literally blind or the song isn't literally about somebody who's battling a visual impairment. Anyone can tap into this idea of not being able to see or I've been so blinded by blah, 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 blah. The universality with respect to music is particularly fascinating to me. And I've never really heard somebody talk about it uh, at great length. So that's why we're tackling this subject today. And yeah, that Etta James song. And interesting to tie it into a prior episode, Etta James is buried around the corner from Ray Charles at the Inglewood oh, Park Cemetery. Yeah. So I did get to see her grave also. So, uh, and, and that song is performed splendidly in the film Cadillac Records by Beyonce, who actually plays Etta James in that movie. Not a great movie, it's okay, um, but notable for the Beyonce performance as a young Etta James. Definitely, and I wanted to ask you again, just because you did mention, obviously, the universality of it, and that, you know, music... Music is utilized to tell all different types of stories and that you don't really have an, like an issue with the fact that, okay, the artists aren't blind. Maybe, you know, um, this, the song isn't about somebody who is blind necessarily, but do you think it's almost almost more important that mo the majority of these, I believe pretty much all the artists that we picked today, they're not necessarily blind, but do you think it's almost more important that because they aren't, it's, it, it is good for them to be utilizing blindness in their music and to be telling stories almost that whether it's about it or again like just you you using it to tell their story do you think that's important because in my opinion i do because it's coming from an outsider perspective and it's it's almost important for the people that don't necessarily experience it to to shine a light on it because it will i feel like it'll make more people kind of what's the word make more people understand it and make them more aware of it in general. That's, that's my thought on it. But I was just curious, again, as somebody who obviously is blind, I'm curious what your, what your thoughts on it are, what I just said, kind of. Well, part of what I love about music is the ability for everyone to tap into it, to internalize it in any way they say they see fit. So while, as I mentioned, Edith James isn't literally blind herself, nor is the protagonist from whose vantage point we are guided through this particular song. However, in a metaphorical sense, she uses the term, and that's okay. And it's in music specifically, where 
I don't need there to have been a technical advisor on the scene, if you will. Mm-hmm. Doesn't matter. I'm not offended. Doesn't matter to me that Etta James isn't literally blind. It's not. It's not the point. Um, but this continuous reliance on blindness throughout the American musical catalog mm-hmm. that is interesting, and just how these different artists have interpreted blindness in different ways and. Um, so I, yeah, I thought the Etta James song was like tippy top for just ways in which uh, blindness has been utilized Definitely. in music. Yeah. And we can move on to the next song that you put on your list. It was the song Blind by Korn. And when I listened to this for the first, like for the first time last night, it gave me like a, like a not like gave me the, the, the genre was based on me hearing it. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was almost like a rock punk rock kind of, kind of, kind of vibe that I got. I didn't really think that it was. I don't know. It, it, it didn't do it like how you were saying the Etta James song. And, you know, there were other songs on this list that actually did something for me that kind of made me, they, I feel like they utilized blindness and they, their, their own, the, the interpretation they put on it was actually well done. This, in my opinion, wasn't like the Etta James song. It was more just kind of a, again, just like a rock, like kind of just a rock song that I kind of, I kind of listened to and just kind of moved past it. That was my opinion. I don't know if you felt the same way, but didn't do, didn't do much for me. I, I don't know. Sure. So different from I'd Rather Go Blind. Yeah. The Corn song is about Jonathan Davis, the lead singer of the band, and his struggle with drugs. So the whole thing is he's not able to see how deep and deeper into his addiction uh, he's actually reverting. And this is more of a, just a musical criticism, but Korn, it's an offshoot of this unfortunate 90s trend called new metal, which is heavily reliant on like aggression. And I think what people in the year of our Lord 2022 would refer to as toxic masculinity, which is unfortunate because my favorite band of all time, Rage Against the Machine, kind of pioneered the genre. And then it was sort of taken over by bands like Korn and Limp Biscuit, Godsmack, et cetera, et cetera. So I could definitely understand how you coming to this particular song, hear it and doesn't do, doesn't do a lot for you. It's, yeah. it's kind of, um, it doesn't totally have a place in the culture anymore like it did. Yeah, and again, like, and even songs we're going to get to in a minute, it just, it compared again, like, we're not, we're not necessarily supposed to compare, but that is kind of part of what this mm-hmm. segment is about. Because when we look at movies, like when we, we've compared, you know, sorry, when we've compared movies such as Anchorman 2 and Son of a Woman, we look at those and go, well, one of those did a pretty good job and the other one, not so much. So it's, it you know, my initial, my instinct was to compare the song, compare this song to the rest that I heard. And again, like you said, didn't do much for me. Didn't, again, musically, it wasn't my favorite, but even just the message behind it, I didn't fully get it through the song. Whereas with the other, with, with other songs that I listened to, I was able to more understand kind of where they were coming from. So overall, this not 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 super high on my list in terms of the ten that we I listened to. 
Um, if you want to move on, we can go to a song that I obviously know it's from, you know, more my era. It came out recently, Jail by Kanye West. And we're specifically referring to the verse by Jay-Z. So give us a little insight. They do reference Braille or Jay-Z does reference um, Braille, which is the, you know. This is like, what Braille looked like. Yeah, this that, is a yeah, hell of a lot. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. So he does reference it. But John, give a little insight into this song and, you know, again, why you put it on the list, all that kind of stuff. So for whatever reason uh i'm gonna go ahead and discount uh the albums ye and uh god is king because they're not great uh so the last two kanye west albums the first track if you get past the introduction on donda there are references to braille it's sort of strange and they're not uh issued by west himself on ultralight beam off of the life of pablo it's chance the rapper and in donda it's jay-z and I wanted to examine, okay, does Braille really reflect what he's trying to say here in this verse? Like, is it, I'm not going to use the word appropriate, but is it a spot on sort of remark, just bringing up Braille? Because you go ahead and you bring up something like Braille, you're bringing up a lot of other ancillary issues. You just are. And with this particular song and this verse, I think Kanye is referencing himself kind of being in a sort of pop culture jail, uh, cordoned off from his musical collaborators and with his support of our prior president, uh, alienating people like Jay-Z. So in this verse, Jay-Z seems like he's summing up the past few years where he hasn't collaborated with Mr. West and it's as confusing as Braille, but he's navigating these murky waters and now they are back on speaking terms in the same playing field, but it took a somewhat Herculean task of learning a language like braille in order to sync back in together and in ultralight beam not used as quote-unquote responsibly it's sort of just kind of thrown out there so here uh with one of the defining artists of our time you've got multiple braille references and in one of them i can vouch for that particular reference and in another, not totally sure what it's doing there. And it seems a little bit out of place. Yeah, I mean, in the specific lyric in this, in this, the song Jail, uh, don't have to see you to touch you. This is what Braille look like. And I just wanted to like throw that out there for anybody who hasn't heard the song. Um, but again, like we've said in the beginning, it is cool and it is interesting to see how these artists are taking blindness, you know, Braille, which again is obviously associated with blindness, taking all of these things and kind of reinterpreted interpret interpreting it and re almost using it for their purposes and it is interesting to see how different creative minds excuse me can shit like shift the focus and again utilize 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 blindness to convey what they're trying to convey which i really do find very interesting we'll move on to the next song stars are blind by paris hilton <laughs> and I want to let you go first. Just give your opinion on the song again, what you thought of it, why you put it on the list, kind of what we're going to do with every single song here. But 
Give us your opinion on stars, uh, stars are blind. Look, Paris Selden has been a kind of pop culture punching bag for the last 15 years. And we're not here to like punch down on visionaries, but in an effort to recognize different genres, pop, rap, country, rock. Yeah, this was one that automatically came to my mind as somebody who heard this song at a nightclub on the Gold Coast of Australia in 2006 for the first time and thought, what in the world is Paris Hilton doing <laughs> singing? And why in the world does she find the need to sing about blindness? And here, again, I'm not trying to punch down. I know that a lot of people have done that with Paris Hilton. I'm not here to do that. I don't even know if she wrote the song, to be honest. If I had to guess, I'd say that she probably didn't actually write the lyrics herself. But here, it's the most surface level rendering of blindness imaginable. So with the chorus, we've got, even though the guys are crazy, even though the stars are blind, you show me real love, baby, I'll show you mine. It just sounds like something that rhymed <laughs> and kind of went together. Yeah. And we aren't really meant to prod and investigate anything outside of a superficial surface level reading of the lyrics. Invest and we're not analyzing any like, oh, are they referencing this? Are they utilizing it to you know convey this message? All that kind of like no, all that kind of just stuff. Just sort of that's what I'm saying. Yeah, this, yeah, no, like this song doesn't do that. And it kind of this gave me the same, not not same vibe. It's obviously a very different genre and a very different song. But with Blind by Corn and now this song, both of them, I think, were, in my opinion, songs that I was just like, okay, well, I don't really understand the message if there is one, if there's not one. And again, like we've already established with this song, there was not a, a very deep you know, deep message or any message in general to analyze. But even with Blind by Corn, I still was kind of like, eh, well, all right, am I, like, I feel like I'm just kind of listening to like a punk rock song and it's just that that's just a title and they're kind of referencing that in the song but i do agree with you that both of these in my opinion um were lower on the list in terms of the in terms of refer using blindness in a in not necessarily using it in a positive way but using it to and reforming it for their own purposes if that makes sense i i feel like this this didn't do that like you said it, it did it just was a surface level of like okay let's find something that rhymes okay cool let's do that it almost gave me the vibe of like a uh not necessarily a, a Katy Perry song, but almost something like that, where there's not much to analyze in those songs. It's a it's it's a Katy Perry song that kind of just it just is. If that if that makes any sense, I don't know if that reference was kind of correct, but that's kind of what it made me. It's think a of. song that is best to be listened to at a nightclub <laughs> when you're 19 years old and traveling by yourself on the Gold Coast of Australia. <laughs> And you're not really looking to analyze things. Exactly. You're just that, you just want to hear some music, and that's just happens to be on. Stars are blind. Yep. That's of course they are. Is. Why All wouldn't right. they be? Yeah. yeah. All right. So we'll move on to one to an artist that I I'm not like you know super obsessed with him anymore, but I used to listen to his music constantly. Justin Timberlake, the song "Blindness." Give us a little rundown of the song. Why you put it on the list? Explain it to us. Uh, it's another of the entry points into love and relationships and emotions regarding, in this case, uh, a failed relationship. And he can't see his partner. She's on a different level. He's trying to see her in black and white. Yeah. They aren't communicating. It's fairly, um, 
there's not a great deal of mystical interpretation here. It's like, he's pretty much singing about blindness as you're intended to hear it here. Not a lot of like complexity behind it. That you not have, totally. Like, that you have to go deep and go, oh, what is he saying here? That kind of, yeah, not a lot of complexity. Yeah, but another in these, again, love, relationships, that whole milieu of subject matters and the versatility of blindness and the metaphorical vantage points that it does offer, tying it into Aldous Huxley, into just analyzing stuff like your love life and your spiritual life, et cetera, et cetera. So blindness here, you and I were not on the same page in our relationship, and I wish we could be. Yeah, and the, and the different... Um the different ways that artists can take it and just, again, piece it into what they want to, and when trying to what they want to say, using blindness to say what they want to say. And like you said, again, with you alluded to it with the lyrics, you know, tell me why I can't see you stuck in black and white. I've been struck by blindness. So it does give off that feeling of, well, not give off, but he is saying again, the failed relationship. Oh, I can't see, like, I can't see you. Like we're again, like you said, not on the same level, not communicating properly, all that kind of stuff. So you do get that from the lyrics that are in the song. We'll move on to the next one though. And we will go to, what is it? Uh, Sweet blindness by Laura Nairo. I believe her name is. Yeah. So again, just give us the rundown, why you picked this song, what you thought about it, all that kind of stuff. So this is one that harkens back to my parents youth uh this is a song that comes out of the late 1960s laura nero was kind of a folkish type artist uh somebody that influenced elton john bob dylan um joni mitchell and here blindness again it's still love relationships but here it's on the physical end of things so your sweet blindness as referenced in this song relates to the physical aspect of love. And so it's just another vantage point and another example of the versatility and universality of blindness, not being able to see what they mean, how they can be interpreted and utilized in song form. So she, I mean, she's nowhere near as famous as your Etta James, your Justin Timberlakes, uh, but Laura Nero does have a relatively rabid following and her associate, I saw this PBS documentary on David Geffen a couple of years ago and Laura Nero was one of his first real musical acts that helped him gain the reputation that he has and I was fascinated by her and it led me to this particular song and just another interpretation of blindness here. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of funny that we're seeing the theme of like, of, you know, love and like almost relationships. And like, I believe like three or four of these songs now that we've seen that, but in slightly different it's ways, different ways. Yeah. But it, and I, it's interesting that we, t again, we talk about the vantage points that it's coming from a different perspective. It's coming from a different, again, like different levels where Tim, we hear it's more about the physical, mm -hmm. whereas Timberlake is kind of talking about like the, Oh, communication level, like th that kind of thing where it's not, it's more internal, not as it's not like physical. So it's, Again, it's very interesting to see how these artists take something that not they don't really not necessarily know 
like know about or like have had experiences with it because they might not have any you know relatives or people they know that have dealt with blindness they haven't dealt, dealt with blindness themselves so it's interesting to see how these artists again take something and utilize it to create you know the, their own their own perspective allow people to analyze it and perceive it in the way they want to and like you mentioned the vantage points you can look at it from different ways and i love again how we're seeing the same theme but like you said it's not the exact same way. So it's the same, again, same theme, but not necessarily the being done in the same way by all these artists, which again, it's why they're all different. It's why they're different artists. I mean, different music, it all ties in together. Next song, Blindness by Metric. Another song with the title Blindness. John, why'd you pick this song up on the list? Uh, another genre. So here we are exploring uh, more indie rock. There's a bit of electronica sprinkled into the sound here. And in this one, uh, actually, there are some great websites that you can check out. Like, if you just type in what is the meaning of the song Blindness by Metric, you will be led to a couple of different websites with fans posting their various theories as to what the song might be about. And in this case, the interpretations are pretty widely spaced apart. So... I read everything from this is a song about child abuse to this is a song about the role of America in international diplomacy and kind of a response to the war in Iraq. Mm -hmm. A lot of different interpretations here. And I don't know that it's ever been truly clarified as to which one is the one that was intended. And it's not the point. Point here is how do you see it? Like we talked about with the Aldous Huxley quote, how metric intended for this particular song to have been interpreted might be completely, it might have 0, 0.0 to do with a subject as awful as child abuse or as difficult to truly grasp as the role of America in international diplomacy. Not a lot of synchronicity between those two subjects. So to illustrate that blindness is much like a cooking ingredient, much like a cooking oil that would be utilized by Christine Ha. You throw some olive oil in a pot, you can do a lot of different things with it. And it's okay. It belongs to everyone in this case. Yeah, and again, it's interesting to see how and I've said this about pretty much every song, but it's 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 the true facts of it that you see how a song like this, all the like the, the fans of the fans of the song, they're all coming in with their different interpretations, what they think the song means. And again, that's awesome that these artists can take something like blindness and create a song about it. But then even certain songs are still left up to the interpretation of the fans and going, well, is it about this? Is it about that? Et cetera, et cetera. So I do find that extremely interesting. And again, I, again, I've said this about pretty much every song, but like I said, it's the facts of the situation that they're taking the songs and putting it out there. Some are like we said, with Justin Timberlake's song, they're kind of saying they're putting out there what they're trying to say. And it's very clear. Whereas with this song, maybe not as clear that you have to kind of, this is a song you have to analyze a little bit deeper and really get in, get in there to really try to find the message of what the song is trying to say, if that makes sense. And we don't have the answers. Yeah, we still don't. And that, but that's honestly, I'm not mad about that though, because again, it, it leaves it up for the listener's interpretation. 
you hear it, you go, oh, I think it's about this. I like that. When an artist, like they, they don't come out and necessarily say, oh, no, 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 it's definitively about this. It's cool to have that, that intricacy and to allow people to just go, you know what? Not even like fight it out, but let's just have a discussion. Let's have a debate. What do you think it's about? What like all that kind of stuff? It's very, very cool. And I like how different songs and even like artwork in general, art like pieces of art can be up to the that person's interpretation. It's it's awesome in my opinion. It's the greatest contribution to society yeah. that art has ever bestowed. Exactly. Definitely. Eighth song. We have a few more to go. Loving Blind by Clint Black. And I think this was more maybe like a country. Mm -hmm. It was, yeah, it was a more country genre. Um, I'm actually a country fan. So I like, I loved, it was like, I believe four, maybe four minutes of the song, but I loved listening to the song in general, just because I'm a fan of that genre. And his voice was pretty good. So again, why'd you pick the song? What was it about it? What did you think the message of it was? All that kind of stuff. Uh, So with this one, much different from new metal and corn or indie rock with metric. Clint Black is the type of gentleman that wears a cowboy hat to uh, a business meeting in a skyscraper. He's a gentleman. This is very much a song like a lot of country songs where it feels like, Hey, I'm going to dust off the old rocking chair, sit back. I'm going to tell you a story. And in this case, the blindness seems to be, Again, in the milieu of relationships and love, physical love, etc., seems to be about possibly meeting different women on the road and having different types of relationships with those women and being unable to really see what those relationships were or what they meant to various partners it seems like one of those, let me tell you about some time, some crazy times on the road. I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. Now I feel like I do. I was kind of blind to the reality at the time, but now with a bit of hindsight, I can tell you about that period of time. Yeah. I just, in general, the, the musicality of it, I loved the song in general, again, because I am a fan of the genre and I love the guy's voice. So I was a fan of the song in general. I will kind of not like confess but I will say that it was difficult for me to kind of even with the extra research I did after listening to the songs like looking up okay what is the meaning of this is like is there a set meaning that has been put out there by the band or the artist etc whatever and initially when first listening to the songs it was hard at first to kind of really dissect what the exact message of the song was or kind of what they were what story they were trying to tell that kind of thing and I feel like that's unless you really, really, really listen deeply to the lyrics of a song or really, really pay attention to certain parts of it, you'll kind of just be, you just kind of, a lot of people just listen to music just like, just for, just for the, you know, I don't know how to put it, just to listen to it, just to have a good, like good vibes, just to listen to music. But in this case with these songs, it is very, very important. And even just any song in general, if you really want to know the message behind it, you need to listen with intent. You need to go into it with the mindset of, okay, I'm going to listen to this song closely. I'm going to pay attention to the lyrics, pay attention to what this artist is really trying to get across. If, if that's their, you know, if that's their goal and what they're really trying to say. And I think that was really important when I did listen to these for the first time, because even though it was difficult, I believe that myself and if any of the listeners ever do listen to any of these songs or have heard them i'm sure younger people have probably heard the kanye song one of the songs we're going to get to towards the end you've definitely heard that i know a lot of my friends have played it but 
it is important for you to go into these songs with the mindset of, okay, I'm going to listen to this. I'm going to really, really, you know, analyze it and try to understand what the message is. Um, we'll move on to our ninth song. Almost there. We have two more. I Go Blind by Hootie and the Blowfish. Why'd you pick this song? Totally different type of yeah, genre here. Uh, rock, question mark, alt rock, question mark. Not totally sure how you would categorize it, but however you would, pretty catchy song uh i remember hootie and the blowfish being again like super duper popular for a long period of time and then there was a period where they just turned into kind of a cultural punching bag and uh a stand-in for oh that's lame and you know what when you go back and you actually listen to a, a song such as this it's kind of fun it's not that bad and here i go blind another response to a relationship and how do we reconcile our feelings in how a relationship between two people has played out? Well, here, kind of like Eddie James, Darius Rucker croons out, I go blind. He's not necessarily sure how to feel about the relationship that has just transpired and we assume ended. So rather than jump to conclusions or make hasty generalizations, I doesn't know. I go blind. Not sure. I don't have a reading on the situation. But again, Santino, as with every song on this list, the beauty of it is we don't truly know. That, and that, that, that's the, again, that's the beauty of it though, that it's up to the interpretation of the listener. It's whatever you want to say, whatever you think about the song, it's, you know what? Okay, this is, the, the, for this song, that's the message it's trying to convey and you cannot convince me otherwise. And again, like you said, that's the beauty of art itself because music is a form of artwork, obviously. And movies are a form of artwork, TV shows, everything we've discussed during this segment is a form of artwork. And for everybody to, you know, whether, again, whether the song is conveying a direct message or not, you can still interpret it however you want to interpret it. And that's the beauty of music, especially these songs. Final song, final one here. We're going to go with the artist DaBaby, who's also another rapper. And the song is just called Blind. So why did you pick this song to put on for the final song of the list? Uh, another more contemporary uh, entry here. This one can either be interpreted well i mean as is the case here you can interpret these in any way you see fit but some of the theories that are out there were pretty wild and pretty interesting so there's this whole narrative out there on the internet that casts popular music rap music in particular as being aligned with Oh, the Illuminati and the all-seeing eye and a lot of the things that some of your favorite artists reference in song form. So he's been blind, but now he's been given the keys to this proverbial new world. He has been let into an exclusive club by the gatekeepers, if you will, who preside over the greater music industry writ large. So finally, he's been on the outside, on the outside looking in, he's been blind, and now he's been given the keys and he can see what everybody's up to. Yeah, and it's 
This one is a little bit different in terms of the message that is being sent because again, a lot of the ones we looked at were either up to our own interpretation or they were talking about relationships, um, but from different vantage points. This one is almost more of like a literal sense where it's like, yeah, like I like I was blind, like I wasn't able to see like what was going on, kind of thing. And then again, like you said, he gets the proverbial keys to like you know to, and then that allows him to kind of just see this brand new world in front of him. And that's this one, in my opinion, I've heard this song before, but again, when I've heard it, it's been more of just like, a, you know, I'm hanging out with the boys and they just kind of like put this, like they, they put the song on because they like listening to the baby and it was just in their playlist that they had. It wasn't in a, in a mode of how I was last night when I was listening to these songs of like, okay, I'm going to put this song on and really, really open my mind to what is going on and really try to understand what the artist's message was again, if any. So again, Overall, this whole segment, I loved the switch up we did where we, again, we've done a lot of, we've done ma- mainly movies and TV shows. I believe we did one book that we did. In a um, play. Yeah, in a play. So we, we've done like a few variations, but I'm glad that we got to analyze music because music, like you said, there's a universality to it. I have not met a person yet that does not like music. I don't believe I ever will. And if I do, yikes. You might want to run. Yeah, yikes. I don't know. But there's not a person in this world that I can think of that doesn't enjoy music. And music, in my opinion, is probably the strong, I don't want to say strongest, the most impactful way that somebody can spread their message through, you know, just through through words, through lyrics. And it can reach so many people, but it, it can reach more people than even movies can because every, like there are people that don't like movies and that's more, I feel like, acceptable than not liking music. Music is just it's music. I don't know how else to, you know what I mean? I don't know how else to put it. These being able to go through a segment like this. I loved it. I loved the kind of different, um, different angle we took again, just analyzing them kind of what they mean, the message, everything. I loved the segment a lot. I like, I like that you went this, this, this route to do music for this episode. And with music, a lot of the, um, all of the acts that I selected in songs here are in English and the majority of these artists are ones that tour internationally. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them playing to crowds of thousands, of tens of thousands, yep. people who do not speak English, but they know the words to the song. So they are singing words that they don't truly, they don't, they don't even understand the meaning of, and yet... It reaches them. It's still it's yeah. the universality of it. Music can reach so many different cultures, different people, different languages, everything. Music touches everybody, and that is probably the best thing about it and why I love this segment so much. Now, we'll move on to our final segment, Connecting the Dots, where you, uh, you know, every every week, every show, you give us a story about, you know, whether it be visiting Ray Charles's grave or just, you know, d- different things that you've done in your life. So what are you going to be telling us about today? So I was inspired by... Christine Ha and her triumphant appearance on the third season of MasterChef. And I wanted to tell our dear, wonderful listeners what it's like to learn how to cook when you can't see. Uh, I'm someone who does not have a robust background in cooking. I didn't know how to cook until I was like 29 or so, 30. I mean, at all, at all, at all. Yeah. Uh, so not even like cereal, not even like not even something like that. You know what I mean? With obviously. a bit of a struggle, man, with a <laughs> bit of a struggle. Yeah, yeah. No, just like getting the level, the ratio of milk <laughs> to raisin bran, not always spot on. It was yeah. A lot of uh, misbegotten results. <laughs> but when I actually learned how to cook, uh, I was terrified, terrified of specifically 
the fire of burners on a stove yeah. and burning my hand. So the way in which I was taught to cook is uh, the first of all, it's much easier, number one, to learn on an electrical stove than it is on other types of cooking instruments. So you pick, start out with a relatively simple recipe, i.e. meatloaf. Okay, so let's get a recipe online. Okay, we'll type in recipe for meatloaf. And then you figure out the amount of meat that you're going to need, the seasoning that you're going to need, uh, the type of pan that you are going to be placing everything in. And then you have to develop this relationship with your stove and the timer on the stove. Uh, and it's in this vein that I would bring up dots. Uh, so I'm someone that has an apartment with a bunch of dots. Um, these are literal, to borrow <laughs> from NFTs, it's a fungible dot mm -hmm. that you can tap with your hand and it is sort of there to help orient you. So if I need the temperature to be at 250 degrees, well, I am not necessarily sure which lever uh, to, to tap into. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm gonna need to put a dot there to denote, okay, that's 250, that's 300, that's 200. Uh, and then, okay, so with this meatloaf, 20 minutes, okay, all right, well, I'm going to go ahead and let that stove cool down. Then I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to pop the meatloaf into the stove. I am going to utilize the very nice and helpful dots on my cooking dial, tap in, uh, utilize your phone, say, okay, 20 minutes, uh, Siri, set alarm for 20 minutes. And if I have studied the recipe properly, utilizing my fingers, what I'm able to feel. So sometimes it's difficult with measurements. Uh, this particularly affects things like spices and seasonings, the breadcrumbs in the case of a dish like meatloaf. You're gonna have to do it a lot of times with stuff like a pinch. Um, mm -hmm two fingers worth, um, an inch over, a, like you're gonna have to do your best utilizing what you do have at your disposal <clears throat> in order to make uh, a really nice, healthy meal. Uh, and you're gonna wanna go step by step. So if you're somebody like me with a lot of trepidation when it comes to the burner and burning your hand, master that let that be your first step and then go from there. So maybe start with something like a pasta. Okay, what the amount of pasta that I need to have in this particular bowl, go ahead and measure that out to the best of your ability. This is all utilizing what you do have to compensate for what you don't. So you aren't gonna be able to tap into necessarily uh, numbers and percentages, uh, you're going to have to do a lot of it with how does this feel? Um, does this seem right? Okay, this, this seems like what we need to be doing and kind of go from there. And that's a big 
part of why I'm able to cook at my leisure today. So that whether it's a Waldorf salad or mm, a Peruvian ceviche, all of these things are possible as demonstrated so brilliantly by Christine Ha. What it takes, uh, patience, <laughs> big time patience. Yeah. And then being able to use what you do have to overcompensate for what you don't to get the results that you are looking for. So cooking is something that scares the living daylights out of people without eyesight, but it is possible. Just look at what Christine Ha has been able to achieve in her life and in her career. And I'm someone who was a complete dunce in the kitchen until the age of 29. And I was able to do it with the aid of some people that taught me what I just tried to elucidate for our audience to the best of my ability. Definitely. And I think the main takeaway is just making adjustments and finding, finding a repetition pattern in each thing that you're making. So just knowing, you know, again, how much seasoning to put on something, how much of, you know, olive, whatever, just how much of something to put with, with each different meal that you're making. So again, the main takeaway, in my opinion, at least what I took away, maybe should, what should be t- taken away from the listeners is that you had to make adjustments. It took time. It took a lot of patience, a lot of focus, but eventually you were able with repetition, with continuing, continuously doing it over and over and over again, you eventually, for somebody who, who you were talking about, wasn't a very savvy cook at all before, you know, before even losing your eyesight. And now again, being able, excuse me, excuse me, to cook your own meals, you know, if, like whenever you want to, it just took patience. It took practice. Took, it took just doing it repeatedly and eventually you were able to do it just and like you said and Santino it's something I seriously thought was going to be impossible and turned out that it wasn't that and that's that's you saying that is even makes it even just it makes the culmination of the whole story even better because you hear that you're like me because again there are a lot of things that you know from an outsider perspective again just like having walked around downtown LA with him and just you know or with you and just doing all this different stuff there are things that I'm like, there've been times where we're walking and obviously people will have, and I'm going to tie this back into your story, obviously, but there will be times where I have that urge that you talk about when you like, there's strangers that you'll, you know, be interacting with when you're just going through public transit, all that kind of stuff. There'll be times like where you're walking and there's like, let's just say a fire hydrant is, is like, you know, in front of you and you're, and I think in my head, I'm like, oh my God, like he's about to walk into that. Like, I need like the, the urge is the instinct is to want to grab your arm and pull you to the side. And You'll be, you know, you'll be tapping your cane in front of it. And I think, oh my God, oh my God, he's going to walk into it. Like, God, I need, like, I need to do something. And then you, you almost like, uh, teleport, like, like out of the, the path of the, um, what, again, whatever it is, I use fire hydrant as an example. Before you even touch it with your cane, you just almost know, and you kind of, and you, you're just able to move out of the path of it. And it kind of always, like not just it kind of shocks me. I'm like, wait, like how did he know that was there? Like he didn't even feel it with his cane yet. And that's something like where I look at that, I'm like, well, if that's possible, if you can navigate downtown LA, you know, I would listen, even if you had that thought in your head of like, man, like cooking, how am I gonna do this? Like, damn, this is tough. Like how like I, I don't know if I can even fathom being able to do it, but you did it. So it's the point of just tying it back in that no matter if you think it's impossible, no matter whether, you know, you think, oh, like, will I be able to do this? Can I be sufficient on my own? All that kind of, and this is even to the listeners, listeners I'm talking to as well, excuse me, but 
anything is possible. You guys just have to put in that time that John has for so many different things, put in the time, preparation, practice, repetition, have, you know, have confidence in yourself. Don't, you know, you're, you're, you're good. There are going to be times where you might doubt yourself. Maybe times where you think, Oh man, like this, I, like I, I screwed up this. You said use meatloaf as an example. Damn, I screwed up this meatloaf. I don't know. I'm not really going to be able to do this, whatever, but you did it. That's the whole point of it. Santino, I know you're a LeBron James guy. Yeah, but you know, he, but you know, he, you just quoted Kevin Garnett, big ticket. Anything is possible. Oh, 100. I, I was trying to think of like what quote I said. Yep, after he won the 2008 mm-hmm. NBA Finals, anything is possible. Like that whole yeah, yep. it's anything is possible. It's a, it's that that's the whole point of these stories that John tells, at least in my opinion. And I'm sure one of the things, one of the many things he wants to get across in the stories he tells us is that anything is possible. Look, if I've done it. If I've been able to do, again, put the preparation in, put the time in, repetition, all these different things, then you guys can do whether you have a disability, whether you have an obstacle you need to overcome or not. It is possible, guys. Believe me. Believe John. And that's going to do it for another installment of Visionaries. Want to thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And again, we have our Instagram at visionaries underscore podcast. If you want to go follow us on that, uh, check out our posts. We po- I, I will, I handle the social media. So I post every single time an episode uh, goes out on Spotify. You can hit the link in our bio and you will uh, be able to go to our Spotify follow. You can rate us on there. You can listen to our episodes. Um, that's where you can find us. If you want to send us a DM, anything, you know, suggestions, uh, just ideas, anything you want to say to us, we will be open to receiving those. Be looking at those. Um, again, thank you so much for listening to this week's installment of visionaries. Have a great week.